This is Shannon Kleibrink, and you are listening to the Future of Curling Masterclasses, produced by Curling Canada with support from the World Curling Federation's Development Assistance Program. In this episode, we explore research that investigates the role of curling clubs in community health and development, the role curling clubs can play in combating loneliness and social isolation, and how to build a curling environment that is welcoming, inclusive, diverse, accessible, and inspires all Canadians to make curling a part of their lives in a way that they enjoy it most. This masterclass is presented by Heather Mayer. Heather is a professor at the University of Waterloo, actively researching leisure, sport, and tourism with a keen interest in curling. Mayer was central to organizing the Changing the Face of Curling Symposium in 2022 and continues to research the impacts of curling within Canadian communities. It's time to focus on the potential for curling to build our health, our well-being, and our communities. In this talk today, I'm going to cover two things. First, I'm going to talk to you not about curling, but what is happening around us. What we're thinking about increasingly in the social sciences and researchers in health is a social emergency, something that we're increasingly calling a loneliness epidemic. And I think that's an important broader context within which we can start to talk about the role that curling can play in helping to address these things. So first I'll talk a little bit about what we know about the loneliness epidemic and the effect that it has on our health and our well-being. And then I'll talk to you a bit about what I know about curling, having done research in this area for almost 20 years and all the benefits that I can see that it provides. And I also wanna challenge you a little bit to think a little bit more broadly about the role that curling can play in your community because of all the benefits that it can offer for health and well-being. So what's happening around us? Uh, when I do this talk in public, I start out with a, a newspaper clipping from the middle of May from Bloomberg News. And the headline is, Where to Meet People? Internet Searches Spike Amid Loneliness Epidemic. So the, the point of the story is that people are literally typing into their communities, where can I meet people? Because they're starving for social engagement. This, of course, is part of the pandemic. I think we all felt that kind of loneliness and isolation as a result of COVID-19. But it was happening before that, and it's happening now in really urgent numbers. And so I start this talk by talking about these broader issues, this issue of loneliness, social isolation, lack of social belonging, because I think it's an important context that we need to think about when we talk about curling and sport more broadly. So we've been researching the impact of loneliness and social isolation on health for a really long time. And we know a couple of things uh, really solidly. The first is that about one in five Canadians feel they have no one to call on for support no one in their lives that they feel they can count on or call on. 20% of Canadians feel that way. About 20% of Canadians feel how they, what they would describe as fully connected and supported. So they do feel that they have someone to count on or to call on. So on one side of the spectrum, we have 20% of the people who feel completely isolated and lonely. On the other side, we have people who feel very connected and kind of socially, like they belong in their social circles. And of course, in the middle, we have that 60%. That's probably on some kind of continuum. But everybody is saying in one way or another, I think, or most people are saying in one way or another, that they want more social connections. They want more in-person social experiences. The other thing that we know from decades of research is that there are some very serious health impacts related to social isolation and a lack of social belonging. Higher rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. There's a 29% increased risk of a heart attack or angina and a 32% risk of having a stroke. 
Social isolation is associated with about a 50% increase in risk of dementia. Social isolation significantly increases a person's risk of premature death from all causes, a risk that may rival smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. Basically, if someone has what we'd consider a, a, a comorbidity, like a, a heart problem or cancer, uh, their chance of dying, if they are socially isolated, goes up by half. So it is, in and of itself, a health impact. There's growing evidence to suggest also that social isolation, social loneliness, or sorry, loneliness and socialization leads to increased polarization and extreme social views. And I know when we talk about social media, I think we're finding these impacts on, on children in particular, but it really is the isolation and being away from people that leads people to these social media channels that can be uh, oriented towards generating fear, generating a sense of being alone, and leading to extreme views and polarization. And I do want to underscore that a lot of the social media research that we're seeing that kind of ends up in the headlines in the, in the media these days is talking a lot about kids. And that's very important. I think we really need to understand better the impact of social media on our children's health and well-being. But these issues of isolation and loneliness, they affect people across the lifespan. And of course, we're realizing now that young people who don't have a family network yet or aren't really socially connected are at serious risk of some of these health impacts because they are the group that we're realizing is experiencing this form of loneliness probably more than ever before. So it's a health emergency and it's affecting all people at all ages. And I think that it's just a really important way to situate how we talk about sport and in particular, how we talk about curling. So I won't take you through all the research that I've done in curling, although I really do love to talk about it. Um, but I have, I started my first curling project in 2005, traveling around across the country to talk to people in particularly rural curling clubs. I grew up in rural New Brunswick. And even though I wasn't part of a curling club, I spent a lot of time socializing there with my friends. And then when I returned to the community as an adult in my early 20s, that was the place to be. And even though most of us weren't curlers, it was the social um, it was the gathering place for our community. And so when I started my career in recreation and leisure studies and realizing that there is a direct link between your health and your ability to access recreation and leisure that's good for you, um, I knew that curling had something special to offer in this world and no one had done this work before. So I struck off and started to do this project. Since 2005, I've done a handful of other projects, big and small, one where we gave uh, cameras to women uh, again, in rural communities, and asked them to take pictures of the way that that curling helped build their health and well-being. And the, the pictures were fantastic, and they allowed us to have focus groups with participants about uh, the really important role that curling played in their life, not just as a sport, but also as, again, a social connector. One of the most interesting parts of that project, because it had us up in the Northwest Territories, is that the women who were living in the North, who were dealing with you know limited sunlight and all these other health effects of living in, in isolated regions, were talking about curling in a really in a more emotional, more um, significant way when they connected their connection to the club and their experiences with their teammates and going out to curl on a dark Friday night or, or whatever the context was, they talked about curling having just almost a life-saving component. Some women actually really described 
the the fact that if they didn't have curling, you know, depression or anxiety would be things that they really would have to deal with. So coming out of that research, we really started to get a picture of just how seriously important curling is to the lives of people, especially if they are in a situation where they're isolated and uh, struggling to make social connections. So it really started to underscore what I would call the health effects of, of curling when it's, um, when it, is right for you and you can contribute to a club and you can be a member, um, then it, it does have some really kind of wonderful health impacts. That's led to all kinds of other research uh, surveys, survey research during the Briar uh, focus group work with uh, people with uh, older adults in, in curling clubs. And of course we were deeply involved in the changing the face of curling symposium because underscoring all this work, and you'll hear this from me a couple of times in this talk is if we think that curling has this benefit for community and health and well-being, the question is how do we bring more people in to those spaces to experience those benefits? So that does start to take us into these questions of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I have two big points to share with you that come from my research over the years about curling. And again, it's linked to this kind of social concern about isolation and loneliness. And the big point that I wanna share, the first big point that I wanna share is people curl in their communities because curling provides a number of really important services. The first one is of course, physical activity. Getting out of your house and exercising, particularly in the winter, especially in this country, is very, very important. And there's even some research, not mine, um, but some other great researchers have done uh, pedometers on people who are curling to measure the steps that they take and the distance that they travel. There have been heart monitors put on curlers to measure you know, the impact, the calories burned, uh, all the kind of physical health effects that I think we know intuitively comes from participating in the sport, especially if you sweep a lot. Um, but also just the fact that you're out and you're moving your body and you're not sitting at home in front of your computer or your or your phone, the, the kind of the broad physical health effects uh, we know about about curling. And I think that's those are important things to reinforce. But I, again, for this talk, really want to focus on the social effects. So curling affects your social health in, in a lot of really important ways. It supports mental health because you're getting out of the house and you're stimulated and you're meeting new people and you're having conversations and you're combating those forces of loneliness and isolation. It also provides what I increasingly am thinking about as kind of adult play spaces. Grownups need to play. It's good for us to dress up and be silly and laugh and have a drink if that's what's right for us, um, to try on different identities, to you know, play games. It's we, I think we think of play being for kids, but we know from research that play is actually really important for all people at all stages in their life. There is a need for silliness and letting go. And curling clubs, we know from bond spiels and, and other kind of events can provide that uh, important play space for grown-ups. So, and I think my research might go a little bit more directly in that area as as time moves on, because I think these are they're important things that curling has to say to uh, adults about creating these spaces where you can feel comfortable. It's also a place where you can be at any age. And when I say any age, I really mean that. I think one of the things that, that curling providers have shied away from a little bit is talking about the role that curling clubs play in the lives of older adults. And my friend Christy Allen, researcher from St. Thomas University in Fredericton, her work is, is on kind of older adults and curling. And she also does research in hockey. But she said to me one day, you know, curling clubs are a place where you can be old. And not just old, you can be really old 
in a curling club. And I think we've shied away from just how important that is. It's good for people who are old to be in places where they can be social. That isn't their home or isn't somewhere else, you know, a medical facility or those kinds of things. It's important to be out in the community. And when you're supported as an older adult, that has a lot of health benefits for older adults. So I think we need to start thinking about curling clubs as places where you can be any age. We want to attract the youth. Of course, everybody talks about that being the future of the sport, but I think we should celebrate the fact that you can be old and you can be supported in a curling club. And that's, that's a really, really great thing. And as I traveled across the country, I heard that from more and more older adults who shared, you know, even kind of tearful stories with me about the role that the club had played in their lives over the years. Curling clubs are places for volunteering. Volunteering is important. We know that sport has health effects uh, beyond the physical impact because there is a sense of shared purpose. Now, you can think of shared purpose in a whole bunch of ways. One, of course, if you're in a sport and you're on a team, shared purpose means you're working towards winning the game or playing well together, and that's important. But shared purpose can also come into play in a community setting when we're talking about volunteering. Uh, contributing to the maintenance and the development of the club, those are good things for us to be part of. It's important for us to connect with one another, to have that sense of shared interest and shared purpose. And curling clubs provide that, not just by being out on the ice and curling with your team, but by supporting the club, maintaining the club, using club events like bond spiels or charity fundraisers to support the broader community. People need to feel that they're doing something that makes a difference. And clubs can be a conduit to allow you to be part of that difference making and to feel that shared sense of purpose and a shared interest. Very important for our social health. There are platforms for intergenerational activity. We're just going to, I think, moving into some research in this area in the next little while. I'm not going to talk directly about that much with you here today, but I, I think you know intuitively that curling is a place where you can have three, maybe four, generations of people curling together. That is tremendously important. And it's very important in, in um, a lot of kind of uh, non-traditional curling cultures. So if we're thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion in some cultures, you know, multi-generational activity is really, really important. It's a deeply important part of leisure activities and curling clubs provide opportunities for that. So I'm not going to touch a lot on that today, but it is a really important component of the sport. And it's, I think it makes it different from other sports because it has that capacity. And there's some interesting research in sociology called uh, by a by a scholar called uh, Fred Oldenburg about the notion of the third place and the third place you might think of it as a place that's not your home and it's not your workplace it's this other third place where you go to have fun to relate socially with people to contribute to something like a shared purpose or a, a sense of shared interest and these spaces we're realizing now as we lose um, social clubs, bowling alleys, um, legions, as these places start to kind of um, fade in our communities, we're realizing that there's a real loss there because people need those spaces to be. There's not the sense of obligation that you have at home or at work, but it's a different sense of commitment because you're building and maintaining a place that is a leisure space for you and your community. And working together to keep that place running 
takes us back to this idea of shared purpose and shared interest, but also this other location where you can go and be you as an adult or an older adult or a young person, I think is really, really important. And as we see those places start to disappear from our social landscapes, we're realizing the real importance that they play. And curling clubs are really incredibly unique spaces for that. So I think that's worth underscoring as well. So if you were with me in the room today, I would have put up a picture that I always put up because it was part of our, uh, I mentioned the project where we gave these the women cameras and they took pictures of what the what curling and the curling club meant for their health and well-being. And when we were up in the Northwest Territories doing this work, um, the president of the club at the time took a picture of her curling club with uh, buckets and plastic all down one sheet and shared a story with us that just as we were starting the research up there, there had been a huge snowfall, as I suppose happens in the Northwest Territories, and uh, part of the roof caved in and damaged the ice, damaged part part of the of the of the sheets of ice that they had on offer for the season. And of course, that has a financial impact on the club for sure, because you're losing kind of the ability to support teams playing on the ice at that time. But what she wanted to really underscore to me was that it had an impact on the community when the club wasn't fully functioning as 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 well as it can or as as to the same extent that it typically does. It means fewer people can take part. And she was really determined to convey to me that that had an impact on the people who wanted to be there. And I think the frustration that she was sharing with us was it was hard to convey the importance of that to people who didn't already know what curling was like. And at the time, she shared with me that there were leaders in the community who thought, oh, well, you know, the curling club lost a sheet of ice, big deal. And she really was determined to articulate the fact that it's not just a club, it's a service to the community. And that's sort of the message that I really, really want to underscore. Curling provides a health and well-being service to the community. And if we start to position it that way and start to counter this vision of just a club that people, you know, belong to and go out on the ice and do their thing. If we really open up how we see it and we start to celebrate all these different pieces of our social life that are represented there, then we can start to see the social part that it plays in our health and our well-being. And that was the message that that she shared with me during that research. And, and I always show this picture and I always want to talk about that story because I think it really, really illustrates exactly what we're trying to get at here. I do research in recreation and leisure. People kind of roll their eyes or, you know, give me smart remarks about what that means. But I think about your life, your your relationship to your recreation and leisure is really, really important for maintaining your well-being. And curling clubs play that role. So what this all means for you. Research shows that curling clubs are places that hold high value in communities. And that high value really needs to be better articulated. So you can draw on this research and the work that I and others have done to advocate for your club by highlighting the social, the physical, and the mental health benefits that they provide to your community. And I think we need to start to talk about curling in all of these different ways, not just the physical stuff for the members. It plays this broader role and we need to bring more and more people into it. So that's my one big point, my first big point. The second thing I want to make sure that I get across is that as we start to think about bringing 
more and quote unquote diverse populations into our curling clubs, we need to look at how people come to curling and how they come through those doors. And all of the work that I have done shows that people curl because someone they know curls or has invited them. Now, there's a caveat here because I think curling is more visible than it's ever been. It's more out front in terms of being on TV more. And I think people are talking about it more given kind of the Olympic designation and those sorts of things. So it is around more, but people typically don't come to the club because they've seen it on TV. There might be a percentage of people who are motivated that way, but most people come because someone has invited them or someone they know belongs. And that's important because that is the network through which you can attract more people but there can be some challenges to that. So if curlers are aging, white, English speaking, and relatively well off financially, so are their networks and so is the rest of the club. So if you're relying on personal networks to bring new members in, then you're only probably reproducing the networks that you have and people tend to spend time with people that are like them. So if you tell your members, go and invite three people to come and curl, they're probably going to invite three people that are probably just like them. So if you're serious about thinking about diversity and inclusion and equity, we need to be able to move beyond these personal networks. It's fantastic that personal networks are so powerful in this sport, but in this in this day and age and the way that we need to start thinking about broadening the appeal of curling, we need to get past these personal networks in terms of how we attract people to the sport. That has a lot to do with how welcoming it is, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. So what this all means for you, people in leadership positions also likely coming from these existing networks might not be bringing diverse points of view to club management. So their networks and look like them and sound like them and talk like them and have their same kind of background. So you're sitting around the table with people that are all just like you. And so you're not bringing in diverse ideas uh, to your club through the leadership and, of course, then not through the membership. So reaching beyond personal networks to attract new members means rethinking the supports that are in place as new participants might not have the support they need. And they might not. I'm going to say they probably don't think about curling the way that you do and we need to get a little better at thinking about what we how we want to convey the value of the sport so i have four questions that i want you to think about the first one is what value does curling bring to your community and as you think about that think about the social the physical the health benefits of the club. What value does it bring? Why is it important for people to belong to the curling club or to become curlers? What value do they get from it? The second question is, how could or should your club become the place to go for affordable, accessible, and welcoming recreation? What if curling is the first thing people think about when they're looking for something to do, when they type into their computer, how can I meet people? What if curling is the first thing that comes up? How can we make that happen? It already has these amazing ingredients for these social connections. How do we get that out 
in front of people so that it starts to become a second nature thought. Let's go to the curling club. Let's go to the curling facility or however you're talking about it. How do we make it the place? The third question is, what roles could or should your club play in the lives of older adults, adults, and youth from diverse backgrounds? So if we're articulating the value of the curling club, social, physical, these kinds of ways that we've that I've already talked about, what role could those values play in the lives of people who we might think of as non-traditional curlers? What might they gain by becoming part of the club? And the last one I think is worth really reflecting on deeply. What do you want to attract more diverse participants to your clubs? And I do this in a live venue. I say this out loud and people kind of nod their heads. Yeah, we want diverse members. Of course we do. My question that I want you to reflect on, though, is why? Why do you want diverse participants in your club? And I have to say, if your first answer out loud or in your mind or, or to whomever you're speaking with is because we need more members, that's not good enough. Just thinking about building the numbers of your club as a motivation to quote unquote diversify your club is not going to work. It can't just be about bringing more people through the door. If you can answer that question by linking back up to the first one I asked about the value that curling brings to your community, then I think we're on to something. So if you can articulate the value that curling brings to your community, and then you can say, we want our membership to be more diverse because we want more people to enjoy the benefits of our club and club membership. That's the heart of really attracting new members because that will lead you, I think, to a place where you're willing to think really critically about what it's like to be in your club and how welcoming it is because you want to share the benefits and the value of the club with more people. So just a few things to think about there. Um, not easy answers. There's no sort of silver bullet, as people like to say, but these are kind of deep, hard questions that um, we need to start thinking about. The best thing I hear from curlers is that they say, Let, we, cannot, we can have more members. People just have to come in and try it. They'll fall in love with it. And I say, that's not really how most people feel about curling. <laughs> it's cold. It's not easy. It's a little impenetrable if you haven't spent a lot of time around it. And so just assuming that people will relate to it and fall in love with it the way that you did um, is problematic because not increasingly people are, are, we want to attract people who just don't think about curling that way. So it's important how we, how we position it. So related to that, I want to share a little story. I've been doing research in clubs over the years, and I was back in the clubs this winter happily collecting some data, and I was sitting with my back to the door looking out on the ice. So I couldn't, I couldn't see kind of who was involved in this conversation. But as I was sitting there, I heard the door ring. There must have been kind of a, you have to sort of buzz your way in to this club. So someone buzzed, and I could see a club member. I don't know who this was. I don't know if it was a paid manager or a volunteer or, or who it was, kind of walked behind me and opened up the door. And I could hear these voices. There was more than one person. And the, and one person said, we just, we were walking by and we saw the sign and we just like, can we come in and look around? We don't know anything about curling. And we just thought we'd take a chance and come on in and see what it's like. So we have this situation now where there's 
brand new people who don't know anything about the sport that have literally walked up to the door and knocked on the door and said, can we come in and take a look around? And I want you to think for a minute what, what the curler, the curling club member who answered the door, what they said. This is a multiple choice question. Do you think they said, come on in, welcome? Do you think they said, welcome? Do you have any questions that I could answer? Do you think they said, welcome? Here's some information about our club and how you can get involved. Or do you think they said, clean your shoes? So when I do this live in front of a group, I get lots of groans because people know that, in fact, the first thing that this club member, volunteer, paid manager, I don't know who it was, said to these brand new, curious, potential curlers, clean your shoes. So if you reflect on that for a moment, and I've had lots of conversations about this because it really struck me, and I'm talking to everybody I can about this. If you reflect on it for a minute, part of you might go, well, I can kind of see that because we don't want to mess with the ice. <laughs> and it was March or February. And, you know, people are carting around a lot of crap on their shoes. We don't want to wreck the ice. But if you literally just said, I don't know anything about the sport, how alien is that phrase? Clean your shoes. That means nothing. If it means anything, probably is a little judgy because what you're saying is whatever you've got on your feet isn't good enough to come into my club. What a message to someone who has just said they don't know anything about the sport. So that's the kind of thing that I want you to start to really reflect on because when you're inside a club or a community, especially a tight knit community like curling, you lose a sense of what it's like on the outside and to just say, my club is welcoming. Anybody can walk in anytime. I really want you to think about if that's true. Are you ready to greet someone at the door who might not speak English, who might not speak curling, and doesn't understand even why a comment about clean your shoes in context makes a bit of sense? So it was just, you know, this was not, this was just a few months ago. This is not long ago. And every club I have spoken with or worked with says, we want to be more welcoming. We want to bring more people in. And I think there's just some basic work here to think through what your club feels like and what you're forgetting about the sport that other people haven't even had a chance to learn. So that takes me to the notion of belonging. I'm not going to talk about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion because I know that's covered in other parts of the series. But the notion of belonging is really, really important. It has also been the source of a ton of research over decades and a summary of decades worth of research about what belonging actually is was done in 2021. And it came up with four major components. And I, and I think it's worth talking a little bit about these. There are four really important parts of building a sense of belonging. The first one is called competence. Competence for belonging. That means helping someone develop the skills and abilities they need to belong to your club, to your facility, whatever it is. So this taps back into that example of clean your shoes. Saying something about someone's shoes assumes a sense of competence, assumes that they understand what that's about, but you haven't yet 
figured out whether or not that person even understands what the role shoes play on the curling surface. So competence, supporting someone as they learn the skills and abilities. And it's not just playing the game. We're, I think, getting quite good at developing these learn to curl opportunities where we're, you know, bringing people in and showing them the the nuts and bolts of the sport. But are you helping people belong to the club? Are you showing them what it's like to be in the social space and what the expectations are in the social space? The second component is opportunities. So are you making it easy to belong to your club? Thinking about the opportunities to belong means thinking about what is enabling belonging or what is a barrier to belong. So you can think about the physical barriers, of course. We talk about wheelchair curling and people with disabilities. So are there physical barriers to coming into your club? Probably. Most clubs aren't as accessible as they need to be. But are there other barriers? Is it a language barrier? Is there a clean your shoes barrier to being part of the club? So thinking through what opportunities are you providing for building a sense of belonging to this wonderful community that you've created? The third part is motivations. And this is where I started. The motivations or the inner drive that people have to belong to a club is there. People want to be doing in-person things with other people, probably that they're not related to. People want to be out doing stuff. So the motivation I don't think is an issue. People might not think of curling in the way that that we know it should be thought of. I don't think they are seeing it as this incredible social place, but because there is a thirst for social connection and social engagement, the motivation is there. So you're already kind of out in front of this third component of motivation. And the fourth is perceptions. What does the image of curling that's being conveyed by your club, by other clubs, by the sport more broadly, what does it look like to people? And what experiences are people having with the sport that they're sharing with others? You know, at the Changing the Face of Curling Symposium um, in, in last May, we heard about experiences of racism. We heard about experiences of uh, being isolated and being kind of shut out and not feeling like you belonged because you looked different or you operated differently in that space. So what are the perceptions of curling? We all, I think, have had experiences where you might tell someone that you're a curler and they might say, oh, where's the club again? Or I thought that was all closed off. Can anybody join? There is still some barriers to the perception of curling. People might not know where it is. They might not know they can just walk in. They might not know um, that it's not expensive and it's not a closed club um, that they will never be able to join. So what is the perception of the sport and the club in your community? So the four components of belonging are competence, opportunities, motivations, and perceptions. And I think Everybody has an opportunity here to think through these four pieces and work through how you can improve these to enhance a sense of belonging for those who already have decided they want to become part of your club, but also maybe to convey and communicate um, what belonging looks like in the club to people who maybe haven't thought about it that way yet. People in your community who are looking for something to do and curling for all kinds of reasons is just not at the top of their list. So how do we enhance that? Um, and I think these four components can give you a hand if you think that through. 
Okay. Um, I'm wrapping up. That's kind of all that I wanted to share with you today. I know that the, the DEI conversation is a really powerful one. So I invite you to listen to that if you haven't yet. I think that the they're really interconnected as we start to think about the, the wonderful community building and health supports of curling. It's It really is built on this commitment that people have to one another and to the club. That's a fantastic thing that we need to open up and talk more about. But because it's so tight-knit as a community, it can be really hard to get into and to penetrate and to change a perception that it's not a welcoming place. So uh, I hope as this series unfolds and you listen to to these podcasts and start to think about the future of curling, um, I'd invite you to you know have a chance to hear from other people who maybe have tried your club and didn't didn't really feel they belong there or invite people in a supported way to come into your club and to share with you what it feels like to be in that space. Um, you know, are you thinking through those four components of belonging in a way that really opens up your club? A lot of us are so committed to the sport and do this work because we just love how wonderful the ingredients the, we love the wonderful ingredients that curling has to be a service to the community to help address these really social, these pressing social problems like social isolation and loneliness. Curling has an answer. It's part of the answer. And we all really want to support you as you start to to think about your club and about your sport in new ways. So I'll leave it at that. Um, I'll sign off by letting you know that my email is hmare. M-A-I-R at uwaterloo.ca. I love to hear from curlers and I'd love to hear about your experiences with curling or in your clubs. And um, I will, uh, I wish you well. Thank you.